Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Miller's Gaming Podcast. I'm Miller and this stuff episode is going to be even more talking about video games and the issues that surround them, you know, the usual. If you appreciate the podcast and want to support it, like usual, like liking, commenting, subscribing and all that kind of thing, as well as the usual, like, five-star reviews and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, this episode uh, kind of broke the two-week cycle again, and that was for a pretty good reason. Uh, last week here in the UK, we broke 40 degrees for the first time in terms of temperatures, so due to a massive heat wave, and I had to basically take siestas throughout the heat wave because it was really tiring and I could barely get anything done, which is honestly not great. But I'm here, I'm doing more. And I'm, well, just, it's cooler now, so I can get around to recording this. And the best part is there's more news to talk about than if I'd done it before. Also, while I'm at the topic of climate stuff, join a climate group. The climate crisis is real. If I remember, which I'll try to my best to, I'll leave some resources in the description on finding climate groups. Because, you know, fighting climate change is important. And politicians will not save us unless they're forced to. I don't really do political things like this, but I'm doing it now because I'm finna away. And, you know... Plug it in, because, you know, it's easy to give into despair, then tune into revolutionary optimism and solidarity, which um, I should probably talk about another time, actually. But, you know, that's just where I'm coming from. So I'm going to end that. Uh, starting for the actual gaming stuff, got gaming news, and then what I've been playing, and the usual, like, the heavy discussion topic as well, which is going to be more about Western AAA stuff today, because some Western AAA news has uh, been interesting this three time and a lot of the time I try to talk about a mixture of like more like mainstream news and niche news like visual novels which I make a big deal out of especially in like the back end of the podcast which is you know the thing but today is basically going to be start with the shorter news and move on to the other stuff and where the main western AAA stuff is and then at the end some VN stuff with that said let's get started uh first up uh, PlayAsia listed Saga Frontier 2 remaster for a PlayStation 4 and Switch. And for those that know, this is another remaster, like, rumoured for, like, Saga Frontier 2, which is a PlayStation game. It follows on from the Saga Frontier, which got a remaster, actually. That got one last year. I wanted to pick it up, but I haven't been able to, unfortunately. But it, I hear it's a better game. And this hasn't been officially announced, and PlayAsia have gotten listings wrong in the past, where sometimes they list something... Sometimes based off hearsay and what happens through the Great in Japan, but then for every reason it doesn't pan out. I remember at one point years ago they listed the PS4 version of Summer Night 6 Lost Borders. And that ended up being released in the West by Gajin Works and not in Asia by Bandai Namco, which uh, at the time they would just begin to like take off with these Asian English releases. So it was kind of plausible, but I kind of see why that didn't turn out to be correct. And ironically about Summer Night 6 is that was Gashin Works' last release. And that was like 2016, 2017. So that was a really long time ago. So yeah, that's interesting. But it's likely correct, especially because how importers are like really on board with trying to get these imported games. Like there's other Saga games, like all the other Saga games announced or released have basically got physicals announced or will likely come, especially from either Square Enix themselves or Arc System Works, who are basically... They're basically mostly digital-owning the West, but in Asia, they're still pumping out physicals in English, which is kind of weird. But it's also a bit annoying, because it means us Westerners, we get royally shafted, which is uh, quite unfortunate for us 
well, unless you care about physical games, which if you only care about digital games, you won't care at all because you'll be like, oh, I'll just get it digitally because I've got I want what I want. Anyway, that will probably get announced eventually. So keep an eye out for that. The next one, uh, Discord voice chat is coming to Xbox consoles. So this is basically Discord, the app. If you play games, you probably already know what it is. Or even if you don't play games, because Discord is now used for more than just gaming stuff. Even just chilling with friends or even doing like support groups. Like they do that on Discord now. It's basically the socializing like network now. It's one of them now. And away from the toxicity of things like Twitter. And it's based and even got like a work corporate based equivalent called Slack. So, you know, that's a thing. And it is now some Xbox insiders can already access it. It will be progressive rolled out to others across Xbox Series S and S and Xbox One, which is really cool. I'm really glad this is a thing now. It's now on PlayStation and it's now on Xbox, but it also should come to Switch as well. And technically that is already possible if you have a hacked Switch. I know if there's a mod where you can actually connect your X, not Xbox, your Switch to your Discord profile, and then on Discord you you can people can see what you're playing on the Switch, which is a really cool little mod actually, and that kind of thing. And voice chat is like that should be on Switch as well, especially because Nintendo's official voice chat offering is honestly a bit shit. Like if you know what it is, it's basically get your phone with an app and chat through this app about the game, and that's just like why. I mean, I get Nintendo want to take a more family-friendly approach to do things because, honestly, voice chat for a lot of games, especially military shooters and stuff like that, is really fucking toxic. Like, it's really fucking toxic. So I kind of get that, but at the same time, it just kind of make... It kind of can make it awkward depending on what you're looking for. Like, if, like me, you tend to prefer playing games where you can't talk to other people over online, like playing Mario Kart, for example, you can't play that online... It's it can be better that way, but also having a Discord functionality would make it a lot better. Like I've done like community streams where I've been on other people's streams. Shout out to Amy Luna Games by the way. Her community streams for Mario Kart 8 are incredible, among other things. And also these um I'd be on these streams and having my TV in the game in one side, and then on the other side I'd have my computer and have a Discord open. And it's kind of weird having that. It'd be nice to have it combined on Switch to make it easier. And I'm hoping eventually Nintendo comes around to that and is added in as an update, which will be really cool. I mean, even bloody YouTube is on there as well and some other apps which took their sweet time. But now they're on the Switch legitimately and not via hacking. And yeah, I will be coming back to Switch and hacking later because more stuff's happened there. But that's for the end because that's a more longer discussion. Even though I've had like... Two little bits of news, and I've already been at this for like five, six minutes. So that gives you an idea where this is going. All right, next one. Issei Lakimosa of Dana for PlayStation 5. Launches November 15th for North America and November 18th in Europe. So this is basically Issei, the RPG from Falcom, the one that kicked off Falcom's popularity for PS5. And, I mean, it kind of does feel unnecessary, but at the same time, if it means the, the fixed translation is all on the disc day one that makes it a definitive version for physical preservation and so that's really cool that's one well, that thing i don't i can't see myself getting it until it gets gets cheaper because like, i've already played it on switch it's great but if you have a ps5 and you've not dug into a falcon game yet this is a good place to start and i do recommend it another ps5 related upgrade article now atlas confirmed on the japanese website for the persona remasters 
that the PS4 owners of Persona 5 Royal cannot get an upgrade to the PlayStation 5 version. They have to buy the game again. Which is, I mean, kind of unsurprising because one, it's Atlas, and two, the PS5 version has all the DLC like included. So I can kind of see from perspective why it's like, oh, you're not going to get a free upgrade. No, no, we're not pro-consumer. You have to go out to the shop and spend your money and buy it again. And yeah, I mean, people want to do that. They can. Like, it's good that that's a, it's good that it's getting a PS5 release. But yeah, it should really be a free upgrade, or at least a very cheap upgrade that allows you to just get the DLC as well. But you know, it's it's still a good news. Like, it's coming out to all platforms. Like, as well as PS5, it's going to be going to the Switch, and the Xbox platforms, as well as PC at the same time, which is really cool. So yeah, I definitely recommend getting Persona 5 Royal, but I think at this point, unless you only have a PS4, I'd say get it on the other platforms if you want all the content, basically. And not bother with the vanilla version unless you just want it for the collection, because that version is inferior. But I've not played Persona 5 Royal myself, but from what I've seen from all the comments and the fact that it fixes the flaws of Persona 5, such as its pacing, I'm more confident saying it is a superior version. Just, you know, it's just going to be out there and... Honestly, when it comes in October, it'll, it will drop in price soon enough straight away because Black Friday's the month after, so instead of it being like 30 or 40 pounds, it'll be closer to like 20 or 30. So it will be cheaper, especially in sales, so you can wait for that if you don't want to pay full price for the PS5 version. And also for Switch and other platforms, but who cares? Anyway. Now on to the first Western news. Because yes, Miller's Game Room, despite Miller mainly only playing Japanese games, does notice Western stuff as well. And has interesting opinions, which, um, well, I, that sounds a bit obnoxious, I'm so sorry. But anyway, The Last of Us Remake. Uh, this has had a lot of like gameplay footage and screenshots like Leak Online. This is like the hotly anticipated controversial PlayStation 5 remake that's coming out in September. PlayStation 5 and later for PC a lot of people do see it as a blatant cash grab and I can kind of see why because it's like the game came out for PS3 like about 10-12 years ago but already it's on PlayStation 5 and yeah as for these screenshots um there's been from multiple different sources they include screenshots as well with like showing off the, the visual fidelity and stuff like that as well as gameplay footage and also specific screenshots from a different source from the other leakers about accessibility improvements which is the main highlight for this remake in my opinion aside from the pc port which is coming later so i'm going to start with the um i did look at the screenshots like it looked like i'm not going to like go into too much detail here on the gameplay because one, I've not actually played the original Last of Us. I do want to, especially because of how people go and go, oh, this game is incredible, one of the best masterpieces of all time, you must play it. And having played like the first Uncharted game earlier this year, it's like, hmm, actually, I think I'd be fine with that. And it's interesting because seeing the gameplay, I got the impression it'd basically be more zombie-orientated. And, well, especially after playing through Uncharted, where it does like the genre twist towards the end, where... You go into the find the truth of the island and then it does kind of subvert to survival horror briefly. I'm like, hmm, I think I can handle a last of the scene as it's probably gonna be quite similar. And that does extend to the gameplay, like I did see in this footage that allegedly like shows the gameplay that there's it looks quite similar to Uncharted, it plays quite similar. 
Um, the source claims there's no gameplay improvements and that the upgrades are primarily to animation and audio, which um, I can't comment one way or the other, but it did look... It looked alright. I don't really have too much either way. But I'd probably stick the PS4 version. And the other thing is that... When they said audio, like, there was animation and audio, and, like, the audio... Like, the animation cutscenes, they looked good. Um, the one thing I know that stuck out for me was, like, when there were certain scenes in the gameplay sequences, and the the, the combat started, when you find some guy with a gun to shoot, and he just says, oh, man. And that's, like, three times in the footage, at least. And it's like, you call that an audio improvement if someone's going to go, oh, man, every time the battle starts. Like, that's not an improvement. That's annoying. But, yeah, um, I'm probably just talking at my ass a bit because I've not played the game. But I do want to on another platform. And, yeah. So, that's the thing. As for the accessibility stuff, uh, the things shown off included various settings for combat, so things like colorblind mode, uh, screen reader and audio cues, navigation and traversal, including the ability to skip puzzles, uh, motion sickness, such as adjusting the field of view, which are really good things. And this leak in particular is actually a good thing because all this accessibility stuff are things that Sony should have actually gone out and talked about. like. Okay, they did only announce the game properly in like June, but at the same time, this is accessibility. This is an integral part of the game. Like, if you're a disabled person and you're looking at whether you want to buy this because you need these aids, it's like, can you really like part with all that money to buy this game if you don't know if you're gonna be able to play it? And for a lot of people, it's like, we don't know. And this should have been like not I say like the very first time it was shown, but very soon after, not held back to launch. Because even if you think about it, with the limited editions and stuff like that, they've sold out quickly. So if you're a disabled person who's a really big fan of The Last of Us or wanted to play it, you can't get the limited edition now unless you pay extortionate money online because Sony delayed showing off accessibility stuff. And as a disabled person, you understandably don't want to part with your money if you need to know what these aids are. And now you can only get the standard edition. And like, nah, may I take an assumption that as a disabled person you have the money to part to begin with because a lot of disabled people do actually live in poverty because uh, capitalism, if you can't work, you must suffer at the whims of capitalism, which may or may not include fatalities. It is a may, but for many people, it's at least so they do get through it. But that's what I mean, where like money is tight and you can't put money up front for a game if you don't know what the features are. And so it's a good thing that these screenshots have leaked out so people can actually see what this stuff is. And that it's going to be, it's floating around online, as long as under gameplay footage, I've seen it all. And now it's all been widely shared, so you can find it for yourself. I found it, even though Sony was like, hmm, we're going to take it off YouTube because our legal right to, because we're dickheads and didn't reveal it properly ourselves. But it's everywhere else, so you can find it. I found it. So hopefully you can find it as well. I also forgot to add something during the initial recording that if you're a disabled person, because of the accessibility improvements, this remake itself has value purely on that basis. So there will be disabled people that will see these aids, realise that this game is now fully playable for the first time for their needs in like most cases. Because of disability, it varies. There'll always be access issues for people. And so they'll buy this game. And that's why it does have value even if a lot of people in the gaming community who do see it as nothing more than a cash-in. It's kind of important to realise, like, yes, it is a cash-in, 
but also it's got a lot of value for disabled people and lines in very well with the games industry's increasing values regarding accessibility and inclusion, which is something that no amount of toxic ableist gamers will be able to stop. And of course, it's not perfect. I will go into it another time, especially with things like microtransactions, but it's still a good step that a major game like The Last of Us is getting this remake with definitive accessibility improvements. Now onto the next part, which is kind of considered like the main, main topic because it's got the most information and it's got good and bad stuff. Um, AAA developers and their um, behavior, which is gonna be fun. Uh, first off is a whole mess with Unity, which is, um, if you're not aware of what Unity is, it's basically this indie engine that's used to like make a lot of games, quite popular. Uh, it's it's accessible and a lot, and it's had a thriving community for a long time. And in 2014, a former EA executive, John Ricky Tellio, I think that's how it's pronounced. I apologize to uh, people who know how to pronounce that. And uh, I think it's an Italian name, I'm so sorry. Uh, took over as CEO. And uh, if you know anything about EA, uh, you point out where this is going, especially if you've seen the news in the last week. And a lot of shit happened. So first thing was like, Laid off hundreds of staffers after claiming there'd be no layoff. Literally, the email is like, oh, there's going to be no layoffs. Our f your future here is secure. And then later, hmm, no, we're going to lay hundreds of you off. We've not formally announced it, but we're laying you off. And then it was, I think it was a confirmed official late in a statement, but only after it leaked out. Uh, attrition, which is basically where people are leaving and not being replaced. Largely because they don't want to work there and who can blame them. Uh, mismanagement, uh, strategic pivots at a rapid, unpredictable rate, which is basically a sign of a business that doesn't know what the fuck it's doing, and taking risks and being quite reckless. Done a lot of mergers and acquisitions. They have recently merged with a company who made a malware installer. Uh, they bought out Iron Source, who are known for developing Iron Core, which is like a popular like thing used to like bundle software when you're installing. It's basically, if you download a program, you get an install with it, and it's basically, here's the program. Now, do you want to install all this other shit of it as well? And you've got to go through this painstakingly go, no, I don't want to install this. No, I don't want to install that. Fuck off, I don't want to install this. And then it was, became a haven for malware to be part of this shit programs. And it also has its own entries in Virus Total, and is actually blacklisted by Microsoft. So, like, Smart Screen and Windows Defender will flag it up. And that's kind of, that's really fucked that you'd think buying a company like that is okay. Even if they've done good things, and what I've heard, they have done other goodish things like, you know, a proven track record of helping creators do what they do best, bringing great apps and user experiences to life while enabling business expansion in the app economy, which was according to the statement from Unity, to paraphrase it, because I didn't read it all properly, but... That's basically what it says when they announce that we're merging with Iron Source. And, well, that's just, that's the news. And if you want to merge, you're a capitalist, you have money. And you can try to buy it. In this case, they're merging with it and they've done it. And it makes them look absolutely fucking terrible. And fans have been really upset and angry about all this stuff. And the staff as well. Um, it's just not a good time to be a fan or supporter of Unity. Oh, and I've missed the most important part. 
Ricky Atello did an interview with Portable Gamer, Pocket Gamer. I mean, Portable Gamer would be nice. You could be a Portable Gamer and do interviews with Pocket Gamer. And he was like, this interview, it was like, he called devs who resist putting microtransactions and other like forms of monetization into their games, quote unquote, idiots, which is an ableist slur. And that's kind of disgusting. And um, this is going to be, um, I'm just going to read the extract of the interview because there was the part and then the answer, which uh, there were four paragraphs. Uh, only the first and the last one were relevant. So the other two, I can't remember what they were about, but they weren't relevant to the answer. And I'm just going to read it. So uh, Pocket Gamer said, Implementing monetization early in the process and conversation is a certain angle that has seen pushback from some developers. It's like, no, no shit, because microtransactions directly target neurodivergent people and those of other, like, impulses relating to gambling and addicts. And it's disgusting. That's why there's pushback. Now, as Riccatello said, Ferrari and some of the other higher-end car manufacturers still use clay and carving knives. It's a very small portion of the gaming community that works that way, and some of those people are my favourite people in the world to fight with. They're the most beautiful and pure, brilliant people. They're also some of the biggest fucking idiots. I've seen great games fail because they turn their compulsion loop to two minutes when it should have been an hour. Sometimes you wouldn't even notice the product difference between a massive success and tremendous fail, but with this tuning and what it does to the attrition rate, there isn't a developer on this planet that wouldn't want that knowledge. Yeah, first off, one, yes, I'd have taken the piss. And two, I did make a mistake when I said a gaming community, I meant gaming industry. So he went, it's a very small portion of the gaming industry that works that way. So yeah, um, one, absolute fucking insult to people who resist that stuff, rightly because it's predatory. And two, also just a massive fucking insult to people in general. Like, comparing, like, people who make the conscious decision to protect neurodivergent people and other people with gambling addictions from microtransactions is a huge insult to disabled people because that's what the term idiots is used for both now and historically including much more triggering darker contexts which are out there which I'm not going to talk about here because it is triggering but it's offensive and it's very crass like you're just disgusting and it's just like and having a compulsion loop you don't need a compulsion loop like if you're going to have a compulsion loop, have it so that it doesn't involve spending real money. Like, or if it is, you're so generous that people don't feel the need to. Like Duolingo, for example. That's a mobile app where you can pay, but you don't need to because it's so generous. And for games, you've got things like Xenoblade's Blade System, the in-game casinos for Dragon Quest, where if you do end up spending all your money in there, you're not paying anything in the real world, just coins in that world. Xenoblade's Blade System. And uh, even like... Even getting the console port of Bandori for Switch and playing that version of the game where you don't spend real money aside from what you paid up front for the game, buying it physically. And I have it physically. And you can buy it digitally as well, but just saying. So that's like, that is uh, an insult. And it's just, ugh. It's just disgusting. And it said a lot about execs who are so like consumed by a love and for money and exploitation and just being overall a disgusting piece of trash that you would shit on others who rightfully resist your crap and that's the worst part about this whole unity mess because 
here's a great engine of a great community now being actively harmed by the decisions of a rich cunt, basically. However, and this brings me to the second part, some of these CEOs and people who do head up these awful decisions, these awful companies, do actually face accountability for their terrible decisions. And this bit is about CD Projekt Red. You know, the amazing developer that people love the pieces because CD Projekt Red released this masterpiece known as The Witcher 3, which in itself is based off a book they didn't originally write. But they did receive lots of praise for claiming things like, we don't do crunch, even though they do actually do crunch. And just other things like that. Well, either way, there was also a Cyberpunk 2077, which is like, this game is going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be the best game of all time. You're going to have this whole sci-fi epic going around this modern city in the future. It's all dystopian stuff. And it's just going to be so cool. And it's going to be amazing. And then it launched. And if, especially if you bought it on console, it's a massive broken piece of shit. Like, you could play it, but there were lots of bugs and stuff. It's like, you've this whole, like meme trailers online taking the piss out of it and now their stock is worth a quarter of what it was before cyberpunk 27 released which was like a year and a half ago now and this was by business side of poland and basically said like they used to have over 40 billion polish zloty which is the currency of poland and they briefly became the most valuable games company in europe and definitely in poland like behind techland and now worth less than 10 billion slotty. I did a brief currency conversion in Google, so these numbers might not be correct, but to give a ballpark, it was like 858 billion or million USD, but now is like 214,500 million USD, which is still a lot of money, actually. But also, like, it's just funny because you're going to see investors seeing that and like, oh shit, we're losing all our money. Fuck you, CDPR. And then having to, like, they're pushing lawsuits and stuff like that against CDPR. Like, you sold this terrible product. You made this shit mistake. We want our money back. Which is, like, lol. Like, that is just, that's just the tea. Like, it's still valuable on the Polish, and still in, like, top 20 most valuable, like, companies on the Polish stock exchange. However, it's possible they'll drop out especially if things are getting worse for them which is basically why like oh no we're developing witcher 4 now we don't have anything to show yet but we are developing witcher 4 a book like a game based on a book we didn't originally write but the best part is you can wait for it and we hope that we will be able to see off these lawsuits and get our stock back up to 858 billion us slotty what the f 40 billions oh, what the f what the f i give up fuck it oh I, mean, I don't know I'll keep this in, but wow, that's, that, that is just like, what the fuck did I just say there? 858 billion US Zloty. I mean, I don't think the US would ever stop the Zloty, but... Uh, I mean, even Poland's got to drop the Zloty to become part of the EU Eurozone, but... Uh, whatever. But either way, lol, lol, lol. And I can dance on their grave as CDPR as their... Their reputation is now in tatters, especially among the hardcore gamer TM crowd, the toxic crowd who felt, like, awfully betrayed, like, yeah, CDPR did sell a bit with Cyberpunk 2077, but if you had delayed it a couple more years, it would have turned out much better than it did. So yeah, treat your workers right, and they'll make good shit for you. Treat them like shit. And you receive that reflected in the quality of the game. And now for more Nintendo news, because Nintendo are great. 
Um, Wii U and 3DS Nintendo eShop sales have been confirmed to end on March 27th, 2023. As of May 23rd, 2022, it is no longer possible to use a credit card to add funds to an account in Nintendo eShop or when Wii U or Nintendo 3DS family systems. As of August 29th, 2022, it is no longer possible to use a credit card to add funds to an account in Nintendo eShop on Wii U or the Nintendo 3DS. However, it will still be available possible to redeem download codes until March 27th, 2023. And all of that, like, aside from the original March 27th date, like, that's all quoted directly from the website. It's like, which is, it's like, it's good for dates of thing. It's been confirmed, so people know exactly what's happening. But it's still bad it's happening in the first place. And once the shop closes down for good, the only option to get the majority of these games will be piracy or hope you can find a cheap physical copy. So I've kind of done that already, so I'm not going to go over that again, but just sharing it. One thing one thing I've not gone over yet is the, the whole Xenoblade 3 issue, because now that's actually broken street date. It's likely leaked online by now, be, like in terms of like, there's already been photos of the game and the box art and stuff, because someone somewhere at the distribution centre snuck out a copy, most likely, and they're now like, oh, we're going to leak it. And it happens a lot now, we're a standard with Nintendo Switch games leaking ahead of launch because of things like it happened with SNT5, happened with Pokemon Legends Arceus, happened in Metroid Dread, and it also means it's really easy to get pirated copies of Switch games now because it's like, oh, we're going to like put this game online and anyone can play it a week before launch. That's what the pirates do, that's what they say, and you can play it ahead of launch on either original hardware or emulators, even though the hardware itself has got to be hacked and only works for like the legacy launch models, which is the one I've got. I've got a launch model. I haven't hacked it. I'm thinking about hacking it, but not for piracy. I'll come on to why I'd want to hack it in a bit. But it's like, now this is a recurring problem. And now from Nintendo perspective, it's now a problem. And now they're going to be like, hmm, we need to work out how to deal with this. And they tried to. They, that's why they did their other revisions. Like, you can't use the exploit for the legacy Switch on the other models. Like, that would require a paperclip or a specifically made, like, thing to break the security on it. It's really easy to do. You can go on Amazon and buy the thing required for, like, three or four pounds. That's how easy it is. And that's ridiculous. It's going to be part of the uh, the problems with the Switch. Even though I don't think it's going to, like, kill it off the way it did the PSP because... The PSP was already starting to decline before the piracy happened, whereas the Switch, it's like, there's such a large audience, the sales will just be too high. A lot of people won't won't be interested in hacking their Switches or getting a hack Switch to do it, especially if you're a family, like family or a casual who don't care much for games at all, or if you're just like, or if you're just like, we, if you have a PC, if you did pirate it, you just play on PC anyway, because most games run fine on Yuzu, Ryu Jinx, etc. And even the Steam Deck as well. Like, Nintendo are trying to hide it, but it's just like, you can't hide the fact that Switch games play best on other platforms. And it's like, I think unless you're really into gaming and really care about the quality of the the games, you would probably be like... You, unless you're with that small crowd, you're not going to care too much about playing the games on other platforms. So I think Nintendo will be fine, but they won't like it. It'll just be this awkward elephant in the closet where they know that... People can just easily pirate their shit. It's not fun for them, but who cares? Well, I kind of care because it means 
fan translations are a thing now because you can now hack the switch and do fan translations in case people aren't already aware um that's why i want to hack mine to play them eventually there's already a few fan tls um the switch ports of cold steel 102 had uh, english translations put into them from the other releases because for some reason there's still no western release of cold steel 102 on switch even though these ports do exist in japan and asia Clouded Leopard Entertainment port them a while ago, so why nothing's come to the West yet is kind of baffling. And before people go, oh, Exceed Games have an exclusive deal. Source? Thought so. Anyway, there's also the Dogapon Up crossover, which is actually an Act Plus game, which got a fan translation, which is kind of weird, considering that's the only Switch game, and even though it's not been announced for the West, you can play in English with a full patch, which is really cool. Anyway, going back to Xenoblade 3, uh, Nintendo has delayed the EU pre-orders for the Collector's Edition until after the game comes out, and at the time of recording this, it's going to be coming out next week, and at the time you can register interest, but you can't actually pre-order the early contents until September, and basically they've said, due to unforeseen logistical challenges, we are unable to open pre-orders for the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Collector's Edition before the game launches on July 29th. We apologise for any inconvenience caused, and then at a later date they'll offer the items only. So basically, you can buy the game at launch on its own, and then later they'll be like, hmm, let's list the art book, the steel book, and the LE box on the website, and people can just buy it there. Even though if you're in the US and manage to get an LE, you can get yours at launch. Either way, first off, what they mean by unforeseen legal logistical challenges they already were no aware of, because it's pretty easy to assume what a lot of these challenges were. First off, it is more difficult to actually release things in Europe in general because of things like distribution and meeting all the regulatory standards and stuff like that. So there are legitimately more barriers to releasing stuff in Europe. It's why in the past we would often not get like Japanese RPGs or other games like that released here. Even though we did get some exclusives, by and large, in terms of the RPGs, we often didn't get them. If, if at all, it would be digital until like the last like several years with the exception of the Vita, because it's a Vita. But by unforeseen physical changes, what they actually are is coronavirus, which, yes, that is still a thing, by the way. The climate crisis, which is also a thing, and that's both of those are destroying, like, supply chains and facilities and stuff, and it means there are delays in shipping things, which is well, good, because consumerism. And the final factor specific to Europe is Brexit, which is also disrupting supply chains. And like, I'm not going to go into Brexit again here, but basically it's because of the regulatory border between the UK and the EU and Northern Ireland, which is basically, I say that specifically because there's still political stuff regarding the protocol, which is, it's ridiculous, but it is fair all businesses will be feeling it. Nintendo will be more able to weather it, but it does mean, like, if you do buy EU games, you will see things like import in the EU and import in the UK on video game box art, especially for Switch stuff. So that's how you know that things have definitely changed and are more difficult, even if you don't know much about Brexit. Because before Brexit, you wouldn't have to have two different importers on the box art. And that's just something that, if you don't follow politics, you'll notice. But yeah, all of this was perfectly foreseeable. And honestly, it's like, I'm hoping that things like this mean that companies will start dropping LEs. I think as it is, Nintendo of Europe have actually started cutting back on their LE items because of these challenges and stuff. 
And if these LE items are dropped similar to America, it basically means consumerism is cut back because it's better to only ship physical games with the carts than have to these extravagant, expensive limited editions that usually are pretty shit to begin with. And like in the case of things like Xenoblade 3, in Japan, like in like a year or two, there'll be soundtracks and art books fully available, but have the whole game, not just the marketing promo you'd have in the LEs, but also like the full OST, the full art book, you get spoilers for the bosses and end game stuff. That's the kind of stuff that should be in these art books. But if you want Xenoblade stuff or anything for these games, cut back on LEs and just, just get what's in Japan because a lot of the time they'll just, they'll come out in Japan, they'll be better they'll be more expensive but vastly superior in content and you may be able to import them to where you are assuming there isn't a western release later on which usually never happens i mean despite xenoblade 2 being successful the art book for the game has only ever been released in japan it's like the art of all rest and you can only get it in japan even the first xenoblade that got its art book released outside of japan but only in french so you could only buy the Monado archives for the first Xenoblade in French, which is kind of strange actually. But either way, just save your money on this and stop buying Nellies in general if I was you. Especially because things like this will happen. Now onto visual novel stuff, which is basically all Idea Factory related this time round. Uh, last night there was a stream by Axis Games where a few things were talked about. There was one thing explicitly confirmed on Twitter and then something else I've seen which hasn't been 100% confirmed from the source, but I've seen it posted around in the Termin Game Circles for people to watch the stream, so it's quite likely true. But the thing Axie's posted on Twitter is they've confirmed that Norn 9 is getting an updated localization on the Switch that's handled by uh, Ann Lee, which is like, if you know who Ann Lee is or Chick Pixel, that's her website. She's been a very vocal Otome fan for years and has been like learning Japanese and playing these games in Japanese, like Otome BL and stuff like that, and it's really cool to kind of see that people like her are getting the recognition they deserve and are able to actually work on these games to like improve the quality, like you said she'll be doing that proofreading, and to basically refine the game and decrease the chances of things like typos and mistranslations, and also was said, like in, like actually confirmed the base game of our comments, but it's also seen in the to the game circles that apparently she's also doing Last Era, which is the fan disc for Norn 9, as well as the upcoming Paradigm Paradox, which is coming out like in a few months. That's the, the first new Otomi release from Axis so far, and it's not a fan disc, so as of now. So that's really good news. It also shows that Axis are like they're paying attention to quality and actually paying people to actually fix their fuck ups because in the past. Axis localizations for Otomes was quite questionable. Even as recently as like Color X Mass Unlimited, there were like typos and stuff. It was kind of bad and to get a patch for it. Like, I get that they're Otomes, and if you release them on consoles, it does cost more to get a patch done. However, it means you just you should delay the games in the first place so that the games are actually like you don't need to patch. And like a few typos and stuff I can forgive, but any more than that, and it starts to be like, did you actually proofread this properly? And it can be quite off-putting, to be honest. And it was kind of it was kind of bad, especially with Corex Mass Unlimited, from what I've seen. And Norn 9 was another example. Like that was like 2015, and I think at the time it was probably done by someone else, like an agency or something. But this translation to things like Kisses translated as R, as in either like 
pain or screaming, which was weird. Uh, love interest referring to their, like, the main characters referring to their love interest as Mr. First Name, as in their first name, not literally the word first name. Using the Dog meme at one point. And uh, also, one infamous translation was Mikoto, who's one of the love interests. Oh no, not love interests. One of the girls you play as that can romance the guys. She's translation, Afraid of Snow, which is just weird. I'm not even sure there was even snow in that particular scene. That's why people were like, what the fuck is this? And then there were things like textbook formatting issues and just other things. It was, um, I loved the game, but yeah, it did have some things that needed working on. And the fact it's now getting revamped means I kind of want to read it again. Especially since it's been a while since I've read it, actually. I do want to read it again. As for Japanese Otomi news, uh, Idea Factory announced Sympathy Kiss, which is another game. Basically an office romance comedy. We were in an app development company. And that's dated for November 17th in Japan, which I'm hoping gets a Western release. Probably from Idea Factory International. Because Axies have got fucking eight, eight titles, I think. Or eight, like, I think eight or nine VNs in general, but like seven Oterme and just a fucking ridiculous amount of stuff. It's ridiculous, actually, but it's a lot. But it makes money, because we buy it. And then uh, Sukai Tenki, which is the first game from Idea Factory's new brand, Alter Gear, which is basically Joseph McKay. So, basically, platonic guy relationships, basically. Not actual romantic, but platonic and like, yeah, you're a best mate and that kind of thing. And this one's a historical drama set on an island. I don't know too much about it, but who knows? Maybe it'll get released. I think at least one of the Alter Gear games will get released over here because it's Idea Factory and Idea Factory are like, hmm, let's get as much of our shit localised in English as possible, even if our shit is actual shit, like the Genkai Toki. Anyway, I hope they do get picked up. I think they probably will, but who knows? It'll probably be a year or so away before they release. Now on to what I've been playing, and today I'm going to be talking about two games. Um, I'm not going to talk about the first game too much, because I want to make a full video on it, because it is actually an Otome game. And that game is um, Cupid Parasite, I've been posting a lot of screenshots on it on my main Twitter account, so... It's been on the backlog, and I finally got it beaten, and in short, I really liked it, I loved it. It's my probably new favourite Otomi game that I've played to date, and I'm glad I got to play it. Especially because it's a light-hearted Otomi, and we, until recently, we didn't really start getting those released officially in English. Of course, Skew Parasite was the first big-name one, and there was also Variable Barricade this year, and there'll be a couple of others, like Love and Pretend, coming later on, which is really cool. In this particular game, you play as the actual Cupid, who ends up going to his Cupid Corporation as an intern or a staff member. And it's really nice to have that because she's basically matchmaking as Cupid undercover. and But not using the power of love and arrows and stuff. And it's like, it's a slice of life romantic comedy with themes of the supernatural. And guys that all possess the various like six types like arrows, storage, um, uh, lupus I think and a bunch of other ones they're all outlined in the game and it's really nice like the game took me like over 40 hours to beat which is really long for an Otome game actually but I've played like I think the other one I came close to was Norm 9 because I tend to mainly play for shorter games because I don't want to wear myself out playing like really long VNs too much 
and it's now mostly determining the switch and uh, VNs in general, which is really cool. Um, as for the guys, I liked all the guys. Um, I think my my favorite guy was probably Gil, like Jill Lovecraft, so like the the lovelorn parasite. And then there's a few others. There's the sixth secret route, which is my second favorite, which I'm not going to talk about here because it's spoiler territory. But then after that, there's Alan Melville, which is a really interesting route. And then the rest of the guys are like uh, Raoul, Shelby, which and uh, Ryuki, which are like three different tropes and stuff like that. And the art and music for this game is fantastic. I love it. I want Merc for it especially the soundtrack CD, because the actual music got a soundtrack release in Japan, and I'm going to go uh, pick that up at some point soon, because one, it's cheap, and two, it's the kind of thing I'll plug in and stim to, and that's really great to find music you want to stim to, especially when you're an autistic gamer gal like me. And of course, I collect soundtrack CDs, which uh, having some Otome Merc in that collection would be pretty cool. And uh, the second game I've been playing today is the Klonoa Fantasy Reverie series. So this is um, a very recent release. It's come out by Bandai Namco for like all platforms. And this is like a compilation of the first two Klonoa platformers. So that's Dora Phantomil on the PlayStation 1, which I have played a bit of, and Klonoa 2, Lunity's Veil, which is also included in the collection, which I've not played yet. I've been focusing mainly, as well as other games, Dora Phantomil, which is like the first Kanoa game, and also the one that got remade on the Wii, which I was going to pick up prior to this re-release, but now I've no need to, because this re-release is a thing. And I'm glad Dan Lamco brought this back, because one, because these are games that people have been wanting for a while, and two, the physical versions of the games in Europe are getting expensive. Like, the Wii game is fairly cheap in comparison, but the PS2 game is older and also is like 60 plus pounds, which is a quite a lot for a platformer, especially one that uh, doesn't have like the HD or accessibility quirks of this re-release, which um, another reason I was interested. And um, you play as like Konoa and this platformer, 2.5D, and like somebody's like, like going around and picking enemies up, turning to balls and throwing them. It's really cool and the music's great. Um, I'm playing on easy modes because I just want to enjoy myself while playing it and it's not taking me too long. Still difficult, but I like the fact there's infinite lives. Like, having infinite lives honestly helps a lot. And I'm, I am enjoying it. I want to play through both games as well because playing through both games for me is like... I want to get more experience playing these older platforming games, especially ones that are not made by Nintendo because, I mean, Nintendo's are great, but they're not the only company that make platforming games. Like, there was all the... Uh, HQ crossovers from the 2000s which I've played quite a few of which are some of those are absolutely great games I mean after all one of them also got remade for the modern platforms and there was also Rayman as well which um, Rayman Legends and Origins are both fantastic and then there's Kanoa which is more of like an older like cult classic which people have liked but it's kind of remained relatively obscure in comparison like as well as the other two games there's a few like other entries in the series like spin-offs and some of them got localized but some of them didn't um i don't know if i'll do a video on these to be honest because they're platforming games they're fairly standard but i know one thing i do want to do in the future for miller's game room is to talk about uh, platforming games because i've got quite a few platformers i like and depending on how these games go they might end up joining a list which is really good especially for really cute games and i think my interest in cloner was also peaked because I'd always heard of it and I'd always wanted to play it and also seen it like not too like 
uncommon to come by and play, but also when I've been dabbling into the world of Mario fan games, a custom Chloe playable was actually made for Super Mario Bros. X2. It's doing better. It's like a Mario fan game. It's basically Super Mario Maker, but better. And made by fans. It was the original version of SMBX was actually made by um, Red Digit, who later went on to make Terraria. So that's how you know it's got quality. And although he's not been involved in SMBX for a very long time now, this like it's been picked up by people and it's even better. And playing as Konoha, like it was really difficult to kind of get to grips with Konoha when trying out SMBX2, but in this actual game, it's kind of gone a bit easier to work out how to play. And maybe, you know, you can try Konoha again in SMBX2 because I don't think Bandai Namco are going to make a Konoha level maker or anything like that. So your best shot is SMBX2, which um, I should probably do a video on SMBX2 at some point, actually, because that's um, going to be an interesting one because that game is great. And I don't play that enough to talk about it on the podcast, but sometimes I go back to it and just dabble in what pump people have made. It's so cool. And yeah, custom Konoha playables and other playables now in that game and hopefully be expanded on. And hopefully the actual Fantasy Reverie series sells well. Like in Europe, we got a physical release, but America did not. So a lot of people in America were importing it because it should have got physical there, at least for than the current gen platforms like in Europe like Bandai Namco for some reason they're more pro physical here so we ended up getting it which I, I'm glad we got but also we shouldn't have had to hope Bandai Namco do physicals they're doing a European physical for the upcoming Taiko Tashin Rhythm Festival as well which um, I don't know if that's coming to the US probably isn't coming to the US to be honest but you never know and that's going to be uh, it for this episode because I've talked about what I've been playing and a little um i'm hoping after this episode's out i'm going to uh, upload my uh, steam prison video because yeah i did a video on a another otome i played and it's like a little otome risk review which um kind of semi unscripted but also like the first i've recorded in my new like work in progress game room which um is gonna look cool when i uh, show it off a bit and and in the future i'm planning like a top like 10 nintendo switch game video which um, I had like a lot of it done, but I'm, it's going to take a bit longer to put out. So, especially because Xenoblade 3 is right around the corner. So yeah, I hope I hope I can get around to playing Xenoblade 3 as well. Which um, that will take up a lot of my August time. So uh, hopefully I can get something else out for Miller's Game Room. And again, if you like the show, uh, like liking, commenting, subscribing, and so on and so forth, five star reviews, etc. We would appreciate it, and thank you so much for listening, and uh, bye-bye.